our heads. Heavenly Father, you are truly great indeed, Lord. And we just thank you for the gift of another year, 2012, Lord. Let this year be a year that you call us and lead us and guide us, Lord. If we don't know you, let this be the year that we come to know you as our Lord and our personal Savior. If we do know you, Lord, we ask that you guide us and give us your will for us, that we may be better followers of you, that we may impact our homes and our families and our neighbors and our co-workers and those in our neighborhood and in our city and around the planet, Lord, with what you have in store for us to do. Help us to serve and help us to share your good news and to share your love with those that don't know you. Lord, we ask that you speak through Doc today. Let his words be your words so that we can leave here changed today. And fulfill our mission to love one another as we love you with all our hearts. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. My name's Doc. Uh, I serve in China, uh, representing you uh, there. It is an amazing, absolutely amazing ministry. I served for 25 years as pastor, taught Bible about five years around the world, and uh, I do believe all of that was to prepare me for the time I'm getting to spend in China. I wish I had time to tell you some of the amazing opportunities, but they have been cool. I want to share with you a little bit uh, this morning about uh, something that I think fits well here, but I want to start back with some wireless operators. Back when it first started that they had wireless operators, it was the rage of the country. I mean, it was the most efficient, uh, inexpensive way to move information all the way across the country. And, of course, it wasn't long until companies began to figure out this could be helpful for them as well. And so they began to hire their own wireless operators. And they paid much better. So when one large company decided they were going to hire a second wireless operator, there were about 50 people that applied for the job, all with experience in the Morris Code. They were all sitting in the waiting room. It was a particularly busy company. There were executives and assistants and secretaries going in and out. And in the background, you could hear the constant dot, dot, dash of the, of the Morris Code. They were all wondering who would get this job. They were all a little tense about it. And then finally, one of the applicants stood up, went to the door of the president, walked in. Everybody was amazed. About two minutes later, he walks back out with a big smile on his face, and he said, I got the job. You can all go home. And, of course, they were all, oh, wait, how would you get the job? And he said, you weren't listening to the message in Morris Code. It was for us. It said, I'm the president of this company. I need someone who is alert. The first one who listens to this and understands it and responds and comes to my office gets the job. I got the job. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a parallel there to what God is looking for in us. Uh, part of why you're here this morning is you want to listen to what God has to say in his word. But it also is important you understand not only the meaning of the text, certainly you want to understand that, but what is God saying to you? At the beginning of 2012, what direction does he have for your life and for my life? But then on top of that, there's this third important step. How do I respond to what God is saying? 
Many of us have set goals. We have desire for 2012. But every once in a while, God puts something on our heart, and our immediate response is, oh, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong gal. This is, this is really not for me. This is way out of my capacity. Someday, but not today. What happens is when God puts something in front of us, we begin to make excuses. There's a long history of this. I want to give you one of the greatest excuse makers in all of Scripture, Moses. And I want you to look with me at chapter 3 and 4. And I want you to look at some of his excuses. But first, I want you to see what God asked of him in chapter 3, in verse 10. Listen to this. This is God speaking. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It sounds simple, straightforward, but let me kind of put it in context. Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Moses has an outstanding warrant for his arrest for murder. On top of that, Israel has approximately, according to commentators, three million people. They are the economic foundation of Egypt. They are free labor. It would be a little bit like going to Barack Obama, God telling you, I want you to go to President Obama. And I, I want you to ask him to give up his, his uh, whatever you think about, his Obamacare. I want you to tell him to completely give it up. I mean, that's what he said is his crowning achievement. So I want you to go and do that. It'd be like, ah, I don't think so. First of all, it wouldn't be effective. Second of all, I'm not the person. I have no access. Every once in a while, something happens in our life, and we just think, I can't do this. I, I remember one time that happened in my life. It's happened, many, but one of them was when we had our first baby, Mandy, who's here this morning. We went to the hospital. We had the baby. Uh, they would bring us the baby. We would hold the baby. And I would feed the baby, and we would send the baby back with the nurse to the nursery. Then when we wanted the baby, we could get her back again and then send her away. <laughs> it was great. But after three days, they took us out to our car. They put Janelle in her side. They gave her the baby. They put I got in my side. And then the nurse walked away. And I remember thinking in my head, what do they think they're doing? We have no business raising a child. This is irresponsible. You know? I mean, I thought I was just overwhelmed at the thought, this is really our baby. What are we going to do? Sometimes in life, God forces you. Sometimes he asks you, he says, listen, I have a job. And we think, oh, no, no. Maybe later, but not, not now. Moses is like us. He begins to make excuses. Excuse one is in the very next verse. You'll identify with these. Verse 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? You ever feel that? I'm just an ordinary person. And he was an ordinary person. We think of Moses as this great, unbelievable person which he became because he said yes to God. But at this point, he's an ordinary person, but he feels inadequate. Paul says almost exactly the same thing in Second Corinthians. When he says, you know, I am inadequate. But then he goes on to say, you know, God is my adequacy. Let me let you in on a little secret. You are inadequate. <laughs> so am I. 
Moses felt that. I can't do this. But God goes on to tell him, yeah, I think you can. But but we feel this. I remember uh, hearing about a family who lived in Oregon. They took their three sons camping in Colorado. I forget the name of the park, but it's a big, beautiful national park. They put up their tents. The three boys laid out under the stars. And, and, and the dad said, he said, I have never seen stars like this before. It was unbelievable. And they, the mother and dad, because it's a little cool, they slept in the tent. But about 30 minutes later, one of the little boys, their youngest boy, came into the tent. And the mom said, is it too cold? And he said, no. He said, were you a little scared? And he said, well... I just never felt so small in all my life. You look at the sky and you think, oh, I am so small. Our great God, and we are small. And so when he comes to us and says, I got a job for you, we think, oh, many people are better. But God says this to him. The next verse. And God said... I will be with you. See, I think the idea we often have is that God's saying, listen, I don't want you to go do this. Uh, best of luck to you. I'm over here busy. But you take care of that. And like he's sending us off on our own. But what he says to Moses is, no, no, no. Understand, I'm not asking you to do this alone. I'm asking you to do this in partnership with me. We are, and this is, a little bit of an exaggeration. We are the junior partner. And God is the one who goes with us and empowers us and directs us, guides us. Moses doesn't give up easily. So he comes to his second objection in the next verse. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? then what shall I tell them? The simplest of questions. What's his name? I don't even know that. You know what he's saying here, in essence, is I don't know enough. And and I can't tell you how often I run into that. I, I don't really know enough. I'm going to learn some more right now, and then later I'll be ready to really serve. But right now I just don't know enough. Uh, Larry Burkett, who's well-respected as a, a uh, Christian leader in the area of finance, when he first considered going into vocational Christian ministry, he, he thought he just wasn't qualified. He didn't know enough. And so he began to do a study in the Gospels. And he realized that not one of the apostles had any formal uh, you know, Christian religious education. And so he thought, okay, I can do this. Now, it's not that I'm against that. I had four years of undergraduate, four years of graduate school in Bible. I'm all for that. But some of the most effective people I know are people who don't have any formal biblical education. Moses said, I, I don't know enough. And so God gives him just a little bit of knowledge here. Next verse, or verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. This becomes probably the best-known name for God, uh, and it has some, a lot of significance. Let me give you two parts of the significance. 
One of them is, he doesn't say I was. He doesn't say I will be. He says, I am. It's the picture of the eternal one. He has no beginning. There never was a was. There never will be a, you know, it's, it's I am. At any point in time, I am the eternal one is the picture here. The other thing that's significant is the word I am and the word Yahweh, usually translated Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in most translations, they come from the same roots uh, in the Hebrew, translated into English by Lord and I am. Uh, this term is used primarily of the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the one who is eternal, who enters into a personal relationship with mankind, Israel, later, you and me. It's the eternal one who comes into a relationship with us. See, I, I think in essence what he's saying here, it's not the breadth of knowledge that's important. It's depth of the relationship, the personal relationship with God. Um, there was an old retired pastor. Um, he was invited to a banquet, fundraising banquet in his town. There must have been a thousand people there. Everybody who was anybody was invited to this banquet. They were all at these round tables. And he right next to a very young guy. He didn't know him, but he was actually a, a well-known Shakespearean actor. And the old pastor, as they talked, did what he always did. He turned the conversation to the things of God. And he asked the young man where he was in his spiritual journey. And the young man kind of grinned sheepishly. He said, well, I was raised in a Christian home by my mom. She read to me from the Bible every, every single night. She loved God. But to be truthful, though I know a lot about the Bible, I, I really haven't thought much about God at all since I left home. Well, the old pastor began to share with him his experience and how God had changed his life and filled him with joy and peace and what it meant to serve God and know God intimately. But he hadn't got very far when the MC recognized the famous Shakespearean actor. And he asked him, would you come up front and recite something for us? Well, he wasn't prepared, so he didn't really want to do it. But the old pastor reached in his coat pocket and pulled out a Bible. He opened it up to Psalm 23. And he said, do you know this? And he smiled and he said, it's my mother's favorite. So he walked up to the front. And from the pumpkin, with this rich baritone voice, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he went through the whole thing. And when he finished, they gave him a standing ovation. And spontaneously, he said, I'd like to ask my new friend to come and recite the same song. And the old pastor slowly made his way to the front. He took the Bible from him, though he really didn't need it. And he began to recite it. It was incredible. There wasn't the same rich baritone. But there was something there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And when he finished, 
there was an awing silence over the crowd. And a few tears in their eyes. As they walked back to their seat, the young man turned to him and he said, I think I understand the difference. I know the song, but you know the shepherd. That's the key, is knowing who he is, the one who keeps his promises to Israel, the one who keeps his promises today to us. He's saying, you know me. But again, Moses doesn't give up easily. So he comes to his third excuse. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? The fear here is basically a failure. What if you send me and I, and I can't pull this thing off? Um, this is a common fear that I think most of us most of us have, that somehow we won't be able to do it. And Moses had good reason. Remember, 40 years before, he had gone and he had killed an Egyptian to save an Israelite. And, and it, the text even tells us he thought they understood that God had sent him to deliver them. But they didn't. He had to run for his life. And he spent 40 years thinking about that failure. And now God says, go again. (laughs) He's afraid. Sometimes, as believers in Christ, we let our past failures rob us of our future. The future that God wants for us. Michael Jordan, I don't know if they have the picture up there yet, with Michael Jordan, I have it with uh, Yao Ming because I, I do this message in China with Yao Ming. They know Mao Ying, they, they, Mao Ying, Ming, Ying, Ying, but they don't know uh, Michael Jordan, so it helps them to understand a little better. But uh, Michael Jordan, doing a Nike commercial one time, said he had missed 9,000 shots. He had lost 300 games, and 26 times, He had made a shot at the buzzer and missed. He went on to, of course, tell about the positive things that he had done in this Nike commercial. But afterwards, a reporter asked him, did you really miss 9,000 shots? And I love his answer. He said, I have no idea because I don't count the shots that I miss. See, I think as believers, we need to, Confess to God our failure, but we need to forget about it. And if he says here, I want you to move forward. I I know your past. It's okay. And he goes on to tell him, I'm going to equip you. Now, how he equips Moses is different than the way he equips you and me. But I'm telling you, when God guides you, as Hudson Taylor once said, where God guides, God provides. He'll take care of your every need when he's called Moses still does not quit. He has a fourth and really my favorite objection. Listen to this. Chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Some commentators think that Moses had some sort of speech impediment. I don't know that there's really a lot of evidence that I've ever seen for that, but maybe. 
Maybe he was just scared to death to do public speaking. It's a very common fear. We don't know. But whatever it is, he didn't feel like he was the right person because he had some sort of disability. And there are all kinds of disabilities. There are physical disabilities. There are emotional disabilities. Uh, There are people who are low in IQ. There are all kinds of problems. We know, I'm just not good at this. And God's calling him to do what he thinks is not good at. And, and I understand that because I have a physical disability. I'm, I'm legally blind. I'm going completely blind. And I serve in Beijing, China with 18 million people that all drive against the rules. They all go crazy. And I, I feel like I'm playing Russian roulette when I walk across the street, you know. Uh, so I understand. I understand. You think, as I've walked across the street, I thought, what am I doing here? Uh, I think Moses was thinking, God, this doesn't, doesn't fit. And this is what God answers. I love his answer. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? In other words, I made you. I made you with a mouth you got. I understood what I was doing. Who makes him deaf or mute? And here's my favorite part. Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. One of my experiences in China uh, is I'm walking around, I'm lost, I don't know exactly what to do. Without fail, uh, someone comes up to me and in English says, can I help you? (laughs) I've never been without help when I needed it, ever. Amazing. Amazing how God can do that. Danny Willow uh, had a tragic accident, and he lost his whole left arm in an automobile accident. Uh, he had to go to physical therapy. His therapist suggested to his parents that they allow him to take him to learn judo. It would be good for his balance. It would be good for just encouraging him. And so they said yes. So he took him with him to where he, he was practicing judo, and he put him in a class for his age and, and, and his experience, beginner's class, and he began to play, to, to, <laughs> to fight, to do, learn judo. And, and as he was learning, he, he's very athletic, and so he began to get better and better. Uh, he could beat most of the kids in his class when they posted that there was going to be a tournament in two months, and he was excited. He wanted to sign up, but his master, his coach, said no. Uh, he was afraid it would devastate him because though he could beat kids in his class, this is a whole different thing. But he kept insisting, and finally his coach said, okay. Next two months, he began to teach all the kids new moves, but he only taught Danny one move. And Danny kept saying, after he felt like he'd mastered it, he kept going back and he said, teach me something else. And he said, no, you just need that one move. And he thought he was saying that because He didn't feel like he had a chance to win. But when the tournament came, he surprised everyone. He won the first four matches. But in the championship round, it looked bleak. He was going to be against the one who won last year. He was bigger. He was stronger. He had more experience. And he had two arms. It was maybe worse than David and Goliath. But Danny was ready to go. And I don't know how much you know about judo, but it's scored by points. 
And as they were fighting, this kid was building up points against Danny. And it became very clear to everyone that Danny had no chance. He wasn't going to win. The only possibility he had of winning was to pin this kid, and that wasn't going to happen. But then Danny remembered the move his coach had taught him. And in about three seconds, he spun this guy, threw him on the ground, and pinned him. And he won. I mean, all the kids ran up and congratulated him, patting him on the back, and uh, they were going crazy. Uh, Danny never thought he had a chance of winning this himself. Well, he was excited, and the coach took all the kids home. The last one he took home was Danny. And Danny said to him, Master, how is it that you knew I only needed that move? And he said to him, Danny, there's only one defense against that move, and that's to grab your opponent's left arm. And you have no left arm. (laughs) You see, God does that with us. He takes our inadequacies and he uses them to his advantage. Uh, He does that with Moses. He does that with us. Well, Moses runs out of excuses at this point. But I want you to listen to his next words. Verse 13. Now, Moses said, oh, Lord. Please send someone else to do it. (laughs) This isn't an excuse. This is just a "Mm, thank you for asking, but no thanks. Now, it's interesting what God responds. The next verse. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I want you to notice something. When Moses was saying, "I I can't do it because of this, I can't do it because of that, God worked with him. But when he says, no. I won't do it. It makes God angry. It kicks him off. You know? I think when we're wrestling with him, God understands that. He works with us. He encourages us. He helps us. He he leads us along the way. But when we say no, it makes him angry. It's a dangerous thing to say no. I, I know I'm fiddling with sovereignty here, but I believe if Moses would have said no, God would have brought somebody else. And his will still would have been accomplished. But Moses would have really lost that. For you and me, when God calls you this year, I've got a job for you. I've got something I want you to trust God with. And you say no, he'll still get his job done. The one who loses out is not God. One who loses out is us. I want to move this from lecture to life. There are many areas that God may want you to apply this, but let me give you three. One is to come to Christ. I can't think of a better day than the first day of the year to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And it may be that God's been speaking to your heart for months, maybe years, and you've been saying, no. I, I can't now. I need to know more. I, this may be the perfect time to say yes, God. You may want to say to God something like this. God, I've been going my own direction. And I know your son Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And now he offers me eternal life. I want to invite you to come into my life 
and make me the kind of person you want me to be. At that moment, you become a child of God. Great way to start 2012. I think the second area that God is challenging us is to share Christ with others. One of the songs we sang earlier talks about how we have a world that does not know him, and we make excuses. Maybe God wants you to share with somebody you work with. Maybe it's, it's, it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a close friend in your family. Don't say no. Trust God. Sharing. A third area, I think, is in the area of giving. We think first of time, I mean of, of money, but it also includes time. But maybe it is God wants you to give sacrificially. And, and even as he, you feel like, okay, I think God wants me to do this, you're thinking, it's insane. I can't do this. But where God guides, God provides. A, a, a second one is time. Maybe God wants you to invest in a group of kids. Maybe God wants you to disciple some people. Maybe God wants you to, to do some more intensive study. I don't know. Maybe he wants you to come to China with me. That's okay. <laughs> but, but whatever it is, you're thinking, oh, no, I just can't do that. Don't say no. See, here's the amazing thing about God. He can take us as inadequate as we really are, and when we're in his hands, use us in an amazing I want to close with this story. It's about a violinist around the 1800s, early 1800s, named Paganini. Uh, he was the greatest violinist of his day. He gave concerts all over Europe. Uh, one particular time, he uh, went out to do a concert, huge sellout crowd. He opened his violin case. And he realized immediately that that was not his violin. It was an old, beat-up, second-hand violin. But it wasn't his state-of-the-art, beautiful, expensive violin. So he excused himself, took the case, and went back to his dressing room and looked for his violin. But it wasn't there, and he soon realized someone had stolen it and put this old, beat-up violin in its place. He went back out to the audience, he explained what happened, and then he said this. He said, today, you will see that the music is not in the violin, but it is in the soul. And then he took that old, beat-up, second-hand violin, and he played it unbelievably. And when he finished, they, they couldn't stop applauding. They went on and on and on. Why? Because they saw the master take something inadequate and do something amazing. You and me are inadequate. But in the hands of the master, he can do something amazing. Let's pray. We are so grateful that you are the master. That you call us, that you use us in ways that we can't even fathom. Lord, I know we're at all different places, but you have an incredible way of meeting us wherever we are and taking, taking us to the place you want us to be. I pray you'll speak to our hearts this morning, that you'll put on our hearts the steps of faith we need to take in 2012, and that we will put our, ha our life in your hands. 
and that you will use us. We pray it in Jesus' name.